Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, thank you for that wonderful worship. As one of my professors used to say, if that doesn't bless your blesser, your blesser's busted, right? And uh, so good to worship the Lord, Christ honoring words and thoughts that excite our hearts. And what a privilege to be in this pulpit. So grateful for uh, Pastor Shore and Gwen. We had the privilege of having lunch with them yesterday and uh, just delighted to see their faithful and fruitful ministry. Uh, you are blessed to have uh, a couple that has led this church for decades. That's such a key, amen, uh, to civility and health and outreach. Um, and, and by the way, on that note, this October, at least south of the border where I live, uh, is Pastors Appreciation Month. Is it that way in Canada? Well, it is now, okay? So uh, uh, make sure you express your love and thanks, not just, of course, to the shores, uh, particularly them, but all your pastoral team who serve you and love you, shepherd you, and uh, do it for the Lord, but they can always use an attaboy along the way, right? Uh, maybe a nice card, free trip to Hawaii, anything like that would be fine, okay? I uh, want to give greetings to the other campuses, those watching online, and my thanks to Pastor Jacob for his kind introduction. My lovely wife is here with me. Uh, we love coming to Canada, specifically Calgary. In fact, I do a lot of travel, and I don't know there's another city I'm in more often than Calgary. Uh, we have some dear friends, uh, David and Heather Petty, who have a company called Petty Roofing, uh, but they also lead Citywide Prayer Rally, and we've led many of those events, numerous pastor's prayer summits, and so we love this city. Every time I come, I think I was born in the wrong country. Uh, and you say, where are you from? Well, we're from Colorado. Just follow the Rocky South, and you'll be at our house. Uh, so come by for a visit sometime, right? Uh, but we are so thrilled to be here. Our ministry is called strategic renewal. Uh, you can find us online. We didn't bring books or anything. We just want to minister to you today. But we would like to stay in touch. And you see on the screen, there's an opportunity to, to send a text and to begin to receive our weekly e-devotions. That comes out every Monday morning. I'm finishing tomorrow's today on the plane. So uh, they are fresh out of the oven, as we say. Hopefully an encouragement to you. You may not know if you want to sign up yet because you haven't heard the bald guy preach. But just in case, uh, it's a blessing and you want to stay in touch. Uh, we hope you'll make a note of that. And uh, we send you those devotionals. Many of you have taken pictures of that. Uh, if you don't like it, you can always opt out. But we would love to continue and enrich your walk with the Lord. And uh, certainly encourage you in prayer and in uh, fruitfulness for his cause strategicrenewal.com. Today we are speaking on the subject prayer, taking Jesus at his word. You see a number of texts there that we'll be looking at, primarily Matthew 6 and then toward the second part of the sermon, Acts chapter 4. But for uh, this beginning moment, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Most of you probably don't even need to turn there actually. Uh, this is what we call the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer. Some people call it the Our Father, uh, and you will know it. It is familiar. I'll read aloud. Uh, you can follow along. And would you stand in honor? of God and his word, and I will simply read this very familiar passage as we begin today with this focus. Jesus, as you know, is giving instruction on the Sermon of the Mount concerning a number of elements of life in his kingdom, one of them being prayer. Uh, he said to his disciples, he said, you guys, when you pray, don't pray like those guys. They have the wrong motive. They want to be seen by men. And don't pray like those other guys. Uh, they have the wrong method. They think all of their verbosity is going to convince their God to help them. Your father knows what you need before you ask. So when y'all pray, uh, it was plural in the Greek, all right? When y'all pray, he said this, all right? This then is how you should pray. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so now, Lord, give your servant grace. Help me again to look out not on a crowd to be feared, but a family to be loved. Give me understanding, unction, and utterance to make your word clear and allow our hearts to be fertile soil onto which this living seed of your word will fall and bring forth enduring Christ-honoring fruit. And we pray this for the glory of his name and the advancement of his gospel. And everyone agreed and said, amen, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When I was a kid growing up, the comic books of the day would always have an ad for this interesting little device called x-ray glasses. Now, some of you may remember that. I thought that was fascinating. Supposedly, you could look at your hand and just see bones. I never bought a pair. Uh, But as I think about that, I wonder today, what if we could put on some spiritual x-ray glasses that specifically allowed us to see the real prayer experience of the people around us on a scale of 1 to 10? There might be a few tens among us who have experienced the ultimate reality of prayer. They're prayer warriors, you know, they uh, just glow in the dark. They're so spiritual. Uh, Others would be a one. I mean, that is non-existent. Some of you might be a three. Your prayer life kind of stinks, but you're giving it a shot. Uh, The reality is we all struggle in prayer, don't we? I know I struggle. In fact, I say that prayer is the most often talked about and least practiced discipline of the Christian faith. I want to make a confession right up front so you know I'm not looking down my pastoral nose at you. I'm not a natural prayer guy. You're saying, what was Pastor Shore thinking? Finding a guy to speak on prayer, he's not a natural prayer guy. Reality is I'm fiercely independent by nature, and prayer is depending on God. In fact, my friends say I could be stranded on a desert island for a week and never realize I'm the only one there. I'd be having so much fun all by myself, collecting coconuts, going fishing, building huts, and suddenly, hey, where's my wife? Where's my kid? Where is everybody, right? Any of you ladies married to a guy like that? Yeah? We'll pray for you. Yeah, amen. I say it often that prayerlessness is my declaration of independence from God. Basically, when I don't pray, I say to the Lord, you know, thanks for your promises and your power, but I'm okay today on autopilot, and if I hit a speed bump, I'll give you a call. (laughs) I get that. And God, by his grace over the years of ministry, has brought me to numerous points of desperation, which is always a key ingredient to prayer. He's given me a wonderful experience of seeing troubled churches transformed by the power of prayer. Because prayer is not just therapeutic, it's transformational. And God has put in me a burden that really is from him because, humanly speaking, it's a weakness. That weakness probably started when I was young. I was a child and actually had a drug problem. Now, not a serious drug problem like many of those in our countries who obviously need a lot of prayer and help, and we're very burdened about that, but a different kind of drug problem. My parents drugged me to the old-fashioned midweek prayer meeting every week of my life. (laughs) And man, that thing was painful. 
Now, when I remember back to that, I exercise one of my spiritual gifts, the gift of sarcasm, uh, which is mentioned in the good book of Second Daniel that I'm working on still. But, but as I think about that experience, we would show up at 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night. Uh, we'd sing a few uh, extenuated songs that felt like sanctified versions of 99 bottles of beer on the wall. They went on and on and on. Uh, and then a guy would give a devotion that had nothing to do with prayer. He just kind of threw it together in his pickup truck. Uh, you can tell my sarcasm coming out here. But then came the dreaded question. And you know the dreaded question. Does anybody have any prayer requests? We pulled out our yellow pads and our blue big pens, and we were loaded for bear. And it went on, and it went on, and it went on. The highlight was always the fact that gossip would make its way in there. And one week I found out Deacon Bill had run off with Matilda, the organ player, and his son was a drug addict. Her daughter was pregnant out of wedlock three times. Her husband was a, you know, a no-good truck driver, and their dog Fido had rabies. And, man, we're writing this down. This is big business, you know. Forty-five minutes into this, I'm thinking everybody in the country has an ingrown toenail, a slipped disc, a cousin in financial crisis, a friend with a broken-down car. I'm so depressed, I don't feel like praying. Then some genius looks at his watch and says, oh, we're almost out of time. We better pray. I'm thinking, well, there's an idea. This is false advertising. We haven't even prayed yet. And we would huddle up in our little circles with our yellow pads in front of us, and we would engage in what I affectionately call the banal blessed be with syndrome. It went kind of like this. Lord, bless him, bless her, bless this, bless that. Be with him, be with her, be this, be that. Bless me, bless me, I'll see you next week. I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm staying home and watching reruns of Hogan's Heroes. This thing is miserable. Now, at least they're praying, right? They're not out playing bingo, you know, not robbing banks. But I left that experience saying, you know, Lord, there's really got to be more to it than this. Now, I don't know what your struggle has been. Perhaps you're here today and you're dissatisfied, you're discouraged, you're confused about prayer. Uh, Today, I'm very excited because we are going to look at that model of prayer, I think, in a very clear, simple, transferable way. And then we're going to connect the dots to how the early church prayed and understand that prayer is not just thinking up things to say to God. Prayer really is taking Jesus at his word. So as we jump into it, I want to start with a definition, a definition to clarify this issue of prayer. I often say it this way, definition determines destination. In other words, how you define prayer is going to set the destination of your prayer life. And I would even be so bold to suggest that some of you, the reason you're frustrated with prayer is because you're working off the wrong definition. If you have to ask the average person what is prayer, your typical response would be prayer is talking to God, right? Uh, Calvin Miller says the problem with that definition is it makes God one big ear and us one big mouth. And it's much more than that. Many would say, well, prayer is telling God about my needs. It's coming into God's presence and filling him in on what he should do today in order to structure the universe according to my specifications for a happy and comfortable life. But see, that's a man-centered approach to prayer. And while it includes requests, that's not the essence of prayer. Let me give you a definition that comes from a theologian named Alvin Reed that has helped me. I've written about it extensively, and I think it will set a destination for you that will be helpful and encouraging, and it is this, that prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. Now, that's so important. I want you to say that with me, will you? Here we go. Intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. 
You see, when you set that as your definition, it creates a wonderful, life-changing destination. And in fact, what is the Christian life if it's not intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes? That's why we're here. If, if you know Christ, you are here for one reason, to abide in him, derive your life from him, and live for his purpose and his glory. In fact, if you're here today and you've never met Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never been born again by the power of his spirit and his grace, this is what he invites you to. He invites you to an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe through his finished work on the cross and then to live your life for purposes that really matter both here and in eternity. That is abundant life. At the end of the service today, there will be prayer partners here who would love to pray with you about any need, but particularly if you're here today and you need more information about how to experience this life, it would be their privilege to pray with you. So now let's look at this critical and crucial delineation of prayer, description of prayer that Jesus gave us. We read it earlier. Many of you can quote it. But I want to mention a couple things. Jesus gave this pattern twice in the New Testament. The first one was on the Sermon on the Mount. We don't know when exactly, but later Jesus was praying in Luke chapter 11, and his disciples came up to him and they said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Now, had I been Jesus, I would have said, dudes, I already told you this once. Don't you get it, right? But he was gracious. He wanted them to understand it, so he gave it to them again. Now, interesting to note, the words are not exactly the same. In fact, Luke would be considered perhaps the Cliff Notes version. But the pattern is the same. The movements are the same. The meaning is the same. It's not just something we quote for good luck or at a religious ceremony. It is a pattern meant to literally transform our lives. Now, over the years, I've taught on this prayer as a pastor, uh, 10, 12-week series, Hebrew background, Greek words, threw in an Italian coffee shop, a French bakery, everything I could do to help people learn. We filled out our notes. We had piles of information, went home, but I'm not sure it helped anybody actually pray. And uh, I want to give you a, a simple thought about this prayer. Now, before we do it, though, Jesus' first words were these, this then is how you should pray. Another translation, pray this way. Another one, pray like this. Newsflash, that was not a suggestion. It was a command. In the Greek, it is what is called a present imperative. Jesus is saying, I mean what I'm saying. This is a command. You pray this way, and you pray this way continually. You don't just quote it and think about it every once in a while. It becomes your life. Now, unfortunately, over the years, I don't know if we've just felt like this isn't enough or it's boring or it's complicated, but we have created so many descriptives of prayer, so many adjectives, this kind of prayer, that kind of prayer. You go to the bookstore, you got a thousand kinds of prayer, and I'm a violator myself. I've written books on prayer. One's called Transforming Prayer, so there it is. But I want to tell you, Jesus said, pray this way, and he meant what he said and what you're going to see is that prayer really is taking Jesus at his word. So for those of you who uh, want to keep it simple, those of you who are visual learners, we're going to look at a diagram. And there was a day in which there was a convergence of my musical background and my understanding of this prayer, and I call it the 4-4 pattern. 
You saw someone up here conducting the 4-4 pattern. It goes upward, downward, inward, outward. In fact, we're going to do a little Sunday morning calisthenics, all right? Some of you don't have to jog this afternoon. We're going to burn off at least two calories right now, all right? Uh, here we go. Do this with me. Upward, downward, inward, outward, good. Upward, downward, inward, outward, all right? Those of you with a Catholic background are keeping it close to the vest here, I noticed. But uh, uh, this really comes from the musical uh, pattern of, of uh, uh, you know, instrumentation and choral music, but it really is an overlay that helps us understand this prayer. So there's four movements, upward, downward, inward, outward. They all start with R because I went to seminary, and that's just how we do things, okay? But it starts upward with reverence. You see it there. You remember the first part of that prayer? If you do, say it with me. Here we go. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Stop there. Our Father, the intimate relationship that is now ours through Christ, who art in heaven, the sovereign ruler of the universe, the master of the armies of, of heaven, but who also has a holy name. Name equals character. This is the engagement of worship. This is what I have described in my own life, my teaching, as seeking God's face before we seek his hand. Coming to prayer because of who he is, not just because of what we need. It starts with our Father who art in heaven, reverencing, adoring, and worshiping Him. You know, as I, uh, we raised our children, they're all now married. We have eight grandkids. I know it's hard to believe for a young man like me, but uh, as our kids were growing up, some of you relate to this, all they cared about was, was what was in my hand. Dad, buy me candy. Oh, Dad, I want that toy. Dad, Christmas is coming. Dad, here's what I want for my birthday. Dad, loan me the car keys. You know, you know how that goes. In fact, there was a point at which we took a family picture, and I wanted to say to the guy, you know, can we just take this picture with my kids' hands in my pocket so it looks natural? <laughs> I mean, sometimes you feel that way, don't you? But, you know, now that they're old, they don't want anything. In fact, it's a struggle to even do anything for them. You know what they want? They want to be together. And I think as we mature in our prayer life, it's not just about what we need from God. It's about who he is. And Jesus was very clear, start there. Start there. Worship the Lord. Adore Him. Become consumed in the glory of His name and His worth. But then there's a second movement. And this is the idea of response. Response. I always say that worship is really the response of all I am to the revelation of all He is. Worship isn't just about looking heavenward and having warm fuzzies, right? When Isaiah saw the Lord in Isaiah 6, he didn't say, oh, man, I got a quiver in my liver here in the presence of God. Now, what did he say? Woe is me. I'm undone, for my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. And you see, that next part of prayer is in light of who he is to come to a place of surrender, alignment, confession. Uh, the way I say it in Henderson paraphrase is, Lord, now because of who you are, I'm trading in my will for your will because you're God. I'm trading in my thoughts for your thoughts, my desires, my agenda for yours. In fact, I'm even trading in my prayer requests for yours because what I want is your will, your purpose, your kingdom, your glory because you are so awesome. And that's the next movement of prayer that we see in this prayer that's so vital for all of us. So let me say two things. If all you ever do is seek God's hand, you may miss his face. But if you seek his face, he will be glad to open his hand. And out of seeking his face, we come to this place of response. And I have learned, I'm not even sure what to pray about, really, or how to pray about it, 
until I have worshiped well and surrendered completely. And now I come to God with my needs. Next part of that prayer, we know it very well. Say it with me again. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Think about now. This is dealing with the issues of life, isn't it? The core needs of our journey. I'm going to stutter on my R's here just for a minute, give you two other words uh, if you're taking notes. The two words are resources and relationships. Say that with me, would you? Resources and relationships. Give us this day our daily bread. Those are resource needs, aren't they? It's a little more complicated today. It's not just about daily bread. I need gas for my car, payment for my school tuition, uh, health for my body, support for the missionaries, all kinds of resource needs. But then there's that second category of relationship needs. Uh, Really, Lord, let us live in vital relationship just as you forgive and accept us. Let us live that way with each other. And we have relationship needs in our parenting as children, as siblings, at work, with that cantankerous boss at the office, lots of relationship needs. Here's what is so amazing to me. Every prayer list I have ever written down, every prayer list I've ever seen would be divided into two categories. Guess what they are? Resource needs and relationship needs. Jesus knew what we would struggle with. He knew what the present moment would look like and how we would need to trust him. And so he says, trust me with that. Now, it would be awesome if you could just stay there and be a Center Street monk. I, don't, I think that's an oxymoron, but a Center Street monk. And you show up at 6 o'clock, Pastor Shore unlocks the door, gives you your prayer robe, your incense, you walk around the building all day, pretty soon you're glowing in the dark and dripping Shekinah juice, and people say, whoa, that dude is holy, right? Some say, I'd like that job. But guess what? It doesn't work that way. Because at some point, we have to get off our knees and into war. And that last part of the prayer is so vital. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from email. And so the reality, wait, I messed up on that, didn't I? Yeah. Deliver us from, it is that way these days, isn't it? But deliver us from evil. In other words, the point being, God, we're going into war. I don't have the resources. You don't have the resources. We can't fight this fight in our strength, so we got to get battle ready. Literally, it's the idea, God, there's evil, there's temptation. Don't let me get stuck in it. Carry me through by your power. And so, you see the balanced biblical pattern here? Reverence, response, requests, readiness. Upward, downward, inward, outward. So for visual learners, that's kind of easy. I would tell you honestly, for me, it's as if this pattern is on my bifocals. And I just think and see that way. But here's a key. The best way to experience this is praying out of God's word. Because where are you going to get information about the Father is in heaven and the glory of his name? You're not going to sit on the beach and put your fingers together and meditate. You've got to get into the word of God, which reveals the God of the word. And so out of the word you worship. It is the word that pierces to our hearts and exposes uh, our heart before God and brings us to confession and alignment and surrender. It is the word of God that gives us truth to help us pray in faith and to anchor our requests in the will of God, which is the word of God. And we know it's the word of God that equips us for battle. When Satan came against Jesus in the wilderness, he didn't say, I bind you, Satan, 20 times. What did he do? It is written, it is written, it is written. Paul says, when you're in spiritual battle, take the sword of the spirit. Some of you know this verse, which is the word of God. The word there is rhema, the spoken word of God. The word hidden in your heart, on your lips, instant in season, out of season. 
I always grew up thinking I did Bible study in that corner, I did prayer in this corner, and never the two would meet. The reality is what we are doing, coming to the Word of God through that lens, Lord, who are you? I want to worship you. Lord, how do you want me to respond? I want to live in obedience and alignment with your will, your purpose. Lord, now what should I pray about? And Lord, where am I going? Who, how, what, and where? Kind of easy to remember. That pattern, so clear, so obvious. But you need to pray from the Word of God. John Piper says it this way, where the mind is not brimming with Scripture, the heart is seldom brimming with prayer. He's always stealing my material. I've got to write him. That's a good thought. But where the mind is not brimming with Scripture, the heart is seldom brimming with prayer. Some of you know the story of the great man of faith in England, George Mueller. And he wrote in his own autobiography, he said, For years I tried to pray without starting in the Bible. And he said, And my mind wondered. How many of you, honestly, your mind wonders when you pray? Anybody? All right, the rest of your mind's wondering now. Raise your hand anyway. Be polite, all right? Uh, Yeah, our mind wanders, right? But here's what Mueller said. When I started in the book, I was able to pray for extended periods of time and effectively for years to come. Have you ever thought about the fact that whoever starts a conversation tends to guide the conversation? Since I've been here, people start a conversation about the flames. I don't know much about hockey, but I jump in and act like I know what I'm saying, right? Uh, someone wants to talk about the Stampeders. Well, I know much about that. I like football, Canadian football. In fact, I like it better than the NFL this year. But anyway, uh, uh, you know, I, I jump in. That's the conversation, right? Nonetheless, the point is whoever starts a conversation tends to guide the conversation. Here's my question. Who do you want to start your prayer conversation? Well, if prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes, and let's let God start the conversation. So we see this amazing pattern, how powerful, how relevant it is. Now, this raises the question. If Jesus told these guys two times to pray this way, did they get it? Did they take him at his word? Did they think he was really serious about this? Man, you ask good questions here. So let's answer those questions, all right, could we? Turn with me to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to finalize our message today by seeing how the early church took Jesus at his word. We call it a compelling demonstration of New Testament prayer. I'm going to read it briefly, and then we're just going to comment on it as we close. But here's the context. Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 were on their way to the temple to pray. On the way, there was a lame man who had been lame for many years, and he was begging for alms. Uh, Typical preachers, they said, silver and gold have I none, right? But such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Some of you know that chorus? Great story. And it gave opportunity for the preaching of the gospel. Peter, filled with the Spirit, gave the message of Christ, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. But this ticked off the Jewish rulers, so they arrested him, kept him overnight. The next day, they interrogated him. They were pretty amazed with these guys, but they told them very clearly, stop preaching in this name. What did they do? They went to prayer. And in Acts chapter 4, here's what it says. If you want to look at it, you can. It's on the screen. They ride back to the church there in Jerusalem, and here's what it says. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David, our father. And now they quote from Psalm 2. 
Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Indeed, Lord, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. And now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Isn't that a great text? That'll excite you. Amen. Now, I think we all know the early church prayed, right? Upper room, uh, they continued steadfastly in prayer. Individuals prayed. Stephen prayed as he was being martyred. Paul prayed, or Saul rather, when he was confronted by Jesus. Uh, Paul and Silas sang and prayed in prison. But did you know this is the only account we have in the entire book of Acts that shows us how they prayed and what they prayed? This is the ultimate example of the content of New Testament praying. And I want to tell you something. They heard what Jesus said, and they took him at his word. And it taught them how to pray, and it can help us pray. Four observations here in just a second, but I want you to see uh, something here that I think is so important. And I'll illustrate. A number of months ago, my wife and I went to a place called Red Rocks, close to our home. It's a great amphitheater carved out of the rocks to hear the uh, Colorado Symphony Orchestra and as you saw beautifully illustrated on this stage, the woodwinds were ready, the strings were tuned up, the brass was all set to go, the percussionists were warmed up, and the conductor steps out to the applause of the crowd, takes his place on his stand, raises his baton, and then at just that right moment, he lowers it. And imagine if instead of playing off of the music they had in front of them, all these scores of musicians just started playing whatever came to their mind. I mean, the percussionist, bang, 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 you know, the strings, the, the flutes. I mean, it just, it's a mess. I mean, the crowd would be aghast, probably would start booing, want our money back. Say, so what's that have to do with prayer? I would suggest to you that's a lot like what most of our prayer lives look like and probably a lot like what most prayer meetings look like. Everybody just praying whatever comes to their mind. And it's an eclectic mess of disconnected thoughts. Here's my suggestion. When we pray, we have some sheet music. It's called the Word of God. And we have a conductor. He is the Holy Spirit. And he wants to work in our lives in a powerful way to help us pray. So I call this, what we're about to look at briefly, Scripture-fed, Spirit-led, worship-based prayer. All right? Say that with me as well. I'd like to make sure you're, you're still with us. All right, here we go. Scripture-fed, Spirit-led, worship-based prayer. I feel so strongly about that. I told my kids I want that on my tombstone. They said, Dad, you got way too many things you want on your tombstone. You've been preaching all your life. We can't afford that tombstone. <laughs> Good news, they now have QR codes on tombstones. So you can come with your smartphone and look it all up, <laughs> right? In fact, I kind of figure by the time I die, there will be these holograms. And... Uh, Jacob, you can come up, pull up a lawn chair, push a button, and I'll pop up. Hi, Jacob, good to see you again. Sit down for a while. I got some things I want to say. Well, this will be one of them. Scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based prayer. This is how they prayed, and it is so powerful as we look at it. Now, it says, as they got together, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. But can you imagine a modern-day prayer moment? 
You know, we go through a trial, we come back to our peeps, as we say, and we say, man, we got problems, they're persecuting us, etc. You know, in our day and age, Peter would say, well, I have a prayer request, pray for me, I'm really ticked off at those Jewish leaders. John might raise his hand and say, pray for me, I'm feeling a little anxiety right now. Uh, Martha might have said, pray for me, I I need wisdom, I'm going to recruit the best lawyers in town, I need some money to do that. Uh, Mary Magdalene might say, pray for me, I need volunteers to make some protest signs. Thomas might have said, pray for me, I'm doubting again, right? Now, all those are real needs. I'm not saying God doesn't care about all that, because he does. But they knew that he had said, look at the birds, I I feed them. Look at the lilies, I close them. Don't worry about that stuff. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this stuff will be added to you because of who God is. You can trust him with that. So how did they pray? Well, the Greek word here, they raise their voices together to God, is homothumadon. Now, isn't that impressive? The only reason I tell you that is because what it literally means is a concert of voices that are whole and in a state of union. I would suggest what made it that way was it was scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based prayer. And they took Jesus at his word. So look at the prayer. Four things, very briefly. They began this prayer time in united biblical worship. There's that reverence again, right? First thing out of their mouth, in spite of all the stress, anxiety, the threatenings of these Jewish leaders, this little embryonic church, first thing out of their mouth, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, and your word says this, and they quoted Psalm 2. Wow. That's the way to pray. Uh, God is sovereign. He's in charge. He's in control. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to him? <laughs> He's God. And they said, Sovereign Lord, you're in charge, and you have made it all. The sea, everything we know is made by your mighty hand. And I don't know what you're facing today, what your stress might be, your struggle, your family, your finances, your work, but aren't you glad we can start with a God who's sovereign and a God who made heaven and earth? In fact, just even as you sit here, multitask for a moment, and from your heart to his, would you say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're sovereign. You're sovereign over my marriage. You're sovereign over my job. Sovereign over our family. Lord, you're sovereign over my past, my present, my future. You are in control. You are powerful. You are able. You're the great creator. Oh, what trust, what worship, what reverence that fills our hearts in that moment. And these very words, by the way, were taken from numerous Old Testament texts. Commentators would tell you about the sovereignty of God, the creator of the world. And not only that, they quote directly from Psalm 2. They are getting perspective from the word of God. I would say discouragement is a temporary loss of perspective, isn't it? And where better to get perspective than in worship and in looking at the word of God to shape our prayers. And that's literally what happened. I think of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles when these armies came against them. And similarly said, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this army. We don't know what to do. You ever felt that way? But what? But our eyes are on you. That's where prayer begins. Secondly, verses 27 and 28, they took Jesus at his word. Because the next thing they did, they surrendered to his word and to his will. This was their response. Verse 27 and 28 says this, Indeed, Lord, right here, 
We saw it with our own eyes. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Jews, the Gentiles met together to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They put him on a cross. They buried him. But notice what they say in verse 28. They just simply did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. You can almost hear overtones of what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Their worship demanded a response of surrender and trust in the power and the will of God. And that helps us pray. The third thing you see happening here in verses 29 and 30 as we just walk through this, they trusted him for their immediate needs. And what were their immediate needs? Well, obviously, you look at verse 29, they pray this, Now, Lord, consider their threats. Consider their threats. Literally, Lord, concern yourself with these threats. Again, modern jargon, Lord, help us have the assurance that you see this, you know it, and you are with us. That's what they needed. The assurance that a sovereign creator to whom they were submitting was in the midst of the struggle with them. And they went on to say, and may your servants, literally your slaves, slaves of Jesus Christ, may we speak your message with boldness. And that was the great need of the moment as they related to these persecutors to continue to be bold with the gospel because that was the greatest good that these cynics and persecutors could ever experience, which was the good news of Jesus Christ. And in verse 30, they continue their request. And now, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, these signs and wonders and healings were a means to an end. They were validating the gospel. They were empowering the word of God. They were garnering the attention of the people to listen to the message of Jesus Christ. And so they moved from reverence to response to this request. Help us know, Lord, you're with us and do what only you can do. As you're here right now, would you, again, just in your heart to the Lord, would you thank him that he knows and he sees what you're going through? Would you ask him, Lord, give me the assurance of your care, your concern, your presence? And Lord, with what I'm facing, would you do what only you can do? Anybody here have a problem that only God can solve? I'm guessing that's 100%, isn't it? Would you give it to him right now? Say, Lord, I'm trusting you. I thank you that you're with me. You're concerning yourself with my life, and you will give me the supernatural grace and power to live for your glory. How did they close their prayer? Verse 31. They went out in the power of the Spirit and the Word. They went out in the power of the Spirit and the Word. Verse 31 says this. And after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Now, that was God's kiss, in a sense, saying, I heard your prayer. Now, we don't know if that was earthquakes or thunder. Uh, I've been in some earthquake prayer meetings in California where I lived for 20 years. Uh, but God was affirming his presence. But notice what it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Just a little nuance, by the way, because I think sometimes we get confused about this. The Holy Spirit didn't fill the building. He filled their hearts. Uh, Jesus didn't die on the cross for a facility. 
He didn't die on the cross to sanctify an atmosphere. He died on the cross to sanctify our hearts so that we could be the indwelling place of the very Holy Spirit of God. And he fills and takes control of them as they pray and they go out and they speak the word of God with boldness. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The temptations of fear, the temptations of giving in to the persecution. And what was their weapon? It was the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which was the word of God. I think they listened. I think they actually realized what Jesus said is how we pray. And this pattern he gave us is going to be the secret to our victory and our engagement in his mission, intimacy with him that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. And so today, as we close, is there a stirring in your heart that says, Lord, teach me to pray? Again, at the end of the service, we'll have prayer partners available to pray with you, to worship with you, to engage with you. But in this moment as we close, I'm wondering, could we pray together? Could we make that our prayer one more time? Again, I don't have x-ray glasses, but the Lord does. He knows if you're a one, he wants to grow you to five, right? If you're a five, he wants to grow you to an eight. He wants to teach us to pray more than we want to learn. So as we bow together right now, I want to pray with you. And I want us to make this our compelling and continuous cry, Lord, teach us to pray. In fact, I'm going to simply ask, if you're here today and and sincerely, the Lord is speaking to your heart and you're feeling a drawing by his spirit to say, pray this way. I want to teach you, learn, grow, experience, take me at my word. And your heart is saying to him, Lord, teach me to pray. I'm going to ask you to simply stand where you are so that I can pray for you. If you're not able to stand, raise your hand so that I can pray for you. But if that's what's in your heart, would you stand with me? Let me pray for those of you who are feeling this compulsion to say, Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, I want to experience intimacy with you that will lead me to a fulfillment of your purpose for my life. And Lord, we stand now, we raise our hand now for your glory. Lord, bring us back to a heart of worship. Teach us to seek your face, Lord, before we seek your hand. May we be so captivated with the glory and power of who you are as we read and pray from your word that our hearts will be changed. Teach us, Lord, what it means to align our will with yours, to trade in our agenda for yours to find ourselves on the heavenly wavelength and then, God, to come and trust you with our needs based on your truth. Lord, today we are here and we have resource needs, people who just need you to intervene and provide. Thank you that you can. We have relationships here that need grace, forgiveness, and healing. Thank you, Lord, that you are able as we trust you with these things. And then, Lord, make us battle ready. Help us as we pray from your word to hide it in our hearts on a daily basis, to make our meditation that of you and your truth, and to be victorious in the midst of this incredible spiritual battle in which we live. Father, bless your people. Bless Center Street Church. Bless the leaders. Lord, help us to be a people of prayer in our walk with you, our relationships, the ministries in which we serve. God, I ask that the greatest days of this church will be the days yet to come 
And that while there is already great praying going on, that it will be extraordinary. And the day will come when people think of Center Street and they say, that's a house of prayer for all nations. And the Holy Spirit is doing things that cannot be described because those people took Jesus at his word and he taught them to pray. And we pray this for your glory, the advancement of your gospel, and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.